Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we have such a special guest with us. Uh, Ashley Chesney is a survivor leader, author, and advocate in the anti-trafficking movement. She is an inspiring speaker and an expert trainer and Set Free Monterey Bay's new executive director. Additionally, Ashley serves as a member of the Commercially Sexually Exploited Children Advisory Board through the National Center of Youth Law. It is through her own journey that she has found healing that she wants to share with others. Ashley is the author of the memoir, From the Ashes, and she believes that advocacy, connection, and hope are key in guiding other survivors on a path to reclaim their lives after exploitation. She graduated summa cum laude from Cal State University, Monterey Bay, with her BA in Collaborative Health and Human Services from an interdisciplinary program that held emphasis on nonprofit management and social work. Ashley is a sex trafficking survivor turned thriver, and Megan and I are so excited to talk to her. And for all of you who listened to our last retreat recap that we did, it was with Ashley and the Set Free Monterey Bay team that we got to do that retreat in the Redwoods of like California. So gorgeous. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me and reading that extremely lengthy bio that probably needs to be shortened. Thank you for that. It's so good. I don't, you shouldn't cut anything out of that. It's all important. <laughs> uh, it's so good to see your face again. It's been a few weeks now. And since we last saw you, you got married. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yes. And good to see you guys too. Yeah. Gorgeous yeah. photos. Just gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> You're beautiful, but your spirit is even more beautiful. And also just where you live is so beautiful. We both have total geography envy. Is I don't is that a thing? Well, kind of, except that the geography tried to kill Deidre a little bit. So oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I did well with the flora and fauna and the, the allergies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talking about healing, marriage is uh, that definitely wasn't on my list of well, I won't say that. It was on my list of things, yes, that I had dreams and desires about. But when you've been hurt so many times, right, that doesn't seem like a possibility. So God is kind and does all the things. That's just like the icing on the cake. But um, yeah, I know we'll get into that, but I'm jumping ahead. No, it's a, it's a good story. We don't even know where to start. Like your story is so amazing and the redemption in it is just beautiful. So um, I know that you have kind of a, a shorter pitch to tell us about your life than maybe reading the whole book, although we totally encourage people to go do that. It's a it's a beautiful read and um, it's just hard really, read. It's, it's hard, but it really encourages us to see the hand of God in, in redemptive places, even in the hardest. So yeah, tell us a little bit more than what your bio says about you. Um, well, yeah, I, I think like, it's important to note, like with survivor stories, like there's this dance that we do with like people wanting to know because they love a redemption story. And then people wanting to know, like out of curiosity and, um, almost like this addiction for, sorry, I call it like trauma porn, right? Like where people, and so like, yeah. and then it's like, well, we'll pay you for your story. So then it's even more this weird dance that survivors do with, it's like, well, sure. I want to make a living, but I also, is that re-exploitation? So, um, I wrote the book in its entirety for that reason, for like a teaching tool as one story out of unfortunately millions. <laughs> um, and 
so that people could know. Um, and really, I hope just to help one other person. But um, in like a, I think I call it elevator pitch. I'm, I'm from California. I was born and raised in Monterey County. Um, I was trafficked at the age like 18 um, by somebody I thought I was in a romantic relationship with. Um, that led to numerous traffickers and locations, including Southern California, uh, Missouri, back here in Monterey County and Georgia. And so, and I was trafficked through various forms of the commercial sex industry, um, including adult entertainment, strip clubs and escort services. And then my rescue ended up being getting arrested, um, which I served four years in, in prison, um, which ultimately saved my life. Uh, it's also where I met Jesus. Uh, he restored my family and quite literally set me free. So uh, it's a happy ending, but I still encourage you to read like, the hard stuff. <laughs> I think I told you when we were with you a few weeks ago that um... Deidre had been reading your book and telling me about it. And I thought, oh, I, I don't think I can read that. I don't think I can, knowing you now, read the words on that page. Um, it's just so hard to imagine, uh, especially as a, as a mom of girls. And it's it, some of the details, you know, you, you do get kind of graphic at times because that's your story and you lived it. And I, after having spent time with you, I just thought you put those words on a page to offer hope and healing to other people. And it's really important that there are enough people out there that are willing to bear witness to that, even when it's painful and even when it's hard and me reading it is literally nothing compared to you having to live it. And the least I can do is to show up to see your words. So thank you for putting them out there. And I hope that there are people who will bear witness to your story in the hopes of reaching someone else. Well, that's a very sweet perspective. I also understand and kind of have had that feedback from people that know me. Like that's harder. My dad and husband refuse. Like they will, they will not. They want to kill people. I'm just kidding. Sure. But like, you know, like that's like that protective, well, the apes, um, that protective um, place that they're coming from. Like they don't, they want to be here with me now and support me now but yeah I understand that being hard for people that know me but reading survivor stories that you don't know like there's so much education there because like I said it's like human trafficking is this huge umbrella that encompasses so many different types and different experiences so it's really like something like somebody can do tangibly is read survivor memoirs like in mine's not the only one out there right there's tons tons um Rebecca Benders is probably my favorite. It's called um, Pursuit of Love. Um, Girls Like Us, Rachel Lloyd, Kadisa Phelps, my mentor, uh, Runaway Girl. And all of those stories are different, right? And so to read and to learn um, when you've met one survivor, you've met one survivor. I'm sure like DJ and I can both attest to that, walking alongside survivors. Like no one has the same story. Right. I think it's important, though, to hear how different the stories are so that we don't have a stereotype of this is what it is. And it and I don't have eyes to see anything outside of that, because maybe this is what Hollywood has sold it to be. Or this is the one person I know that experienced it. And it was like that. Um, so, yeah, what can you what can you just educate our listeners on about trafficking as um, just understanding it maybe better what it is, how you would define it? Yeah, I think you like really 
like hit the nail on the head, the media sensationalizes it, right? We have these like images that pop up or, or some people have, may have this image, like the movie Taken or um, Now Sound of Freedom, which like these are like definitely, well, Sound of Freedom is a real story. Um, movie Taken is a media piece and both could be true, right? Like both are, but trafficking is not always kidnapping. Um, when we're talking about online exploitation, like people can be trafficked and never leave their home. Um, trafficking can look like within family units where um, we're seeing that a lot, uh, especially where I live, like breaking that down, like familial trafficking where parents or relatives are, are selling their um, children. And um, yeah, like for myself, I thought I was in a relationship with someone that was my trafficker. So and then, yeah, the various forms of the commercial sex industry that I think our society is very desensitized um, right now. Um, pornography, strip clubs, um, these types of areas that are that that's green choice. Um, right. But um, pornography is the second trafficked industry in our whole world. And so. And I've stood alongside survivors, um, including myself, right, that were forced to do things inside that industry, forced to sign contracts, all of these things. Even if we're talking about um, young people or um, people who are homeless or the under 18 population exchanging uh, sex for basic needs, right, food, shelter, water, even material goods, things of value. In federally speaking, that's trafficking, Um without consent they're under 18 so um anything when they're exchanging sex yeah i think it trafficking even like the words prostitution i hate that term um because again it signifies choice and i just think like nobody wakes up one day and decides to be a prostitute like no one wakes up one day and decides like i'm gonna sell my body for sex Mm -hmm. right so when people are hurt you right someone probably harmed them and then when people are without options i believe that eliminates choice Mm -hmm. um so trafficking yeah i don't know if that really answered your question but there's so many different ways trafficking can show up yeah i think when you said without options that's how we can look at who who is at risk who is vulnerable to this uh, not everybody fits neatly into one, you know, okay, if you meet these criteria, you're at risk or you're vulnerable, but for sure we can identify some groups where that can be. Um, so I think that helps us to have eyes to see. Um, it's not just the rich kid who got kidnapped because a ransom was wanted for their return, right? That's like one sensationalized story. And of course that would be terrible in reality, but it, that's not the only story that you you just told us. Yeah. I, um, I quote this a lot when I'm speaking, but like there was a study done within the FBI and they like interviewed traffickers and, um, they asked like what made them target victims. And it was not because someone is attractive and it was not because someone was in close proximity to them. Like they groomed victims for years. We see that online um, um, and in person, but it was because they're vulnerable. 
And so people with vulnerabilities, uh, which you could list tons of what makes someone vulnerable, but if you're vulnerable, you're easily, more easy, easy to manipulate and control. So I think if we look at it like that, like then we're really seeing a weakness in somebody and that's preyed upon and that right there is just sickening. I'm just thinking about a lot of our listeners are like us, they're kind of 30, 40, 50 year old women, you know, who probably are moms. And what would you say when you do training for um, minors or people who work like maybe educators or people who work with uh, junior high, you know, high school kids, how can they combat a vulnerability? What, what can we do to fortify our children? Talking about this, um, I think what things fester in the dark. So if kids, kids are seeing this, like I, I'm, this is not to instill fear in parents or when I speak to youth, this is not to instill fear in the youth. It's to teach them how to play defense because it's not, it's not if it's when, um, their child is approached online or when they encounter someone unsafe, are they going to keep it a secret? You know, do they have the tools to be like, I can go to a safe adult, whether or not that's their parent, um, or I can talk to someone about this because I know this isn't right. And I think the third thing is instilling worth. Like, and it's something I didn't have, so it's easy for me to talk about now. But um, I believe like when you know your worth, especially when you know you're, who you are in Christ, um, there's no amount of money or manipulation or proposition that will, at least for me, like would sacrifice that. So when I talk to youth, like, oh, I'd rather talk to youth that have never experienced exploitation and really tried to like talk to them about knowing their worth than try to undo what a trafficker has done to somebody that's under 18. It's really hard to compete, to compete, um, especially if their worth is low. So I think as parents, like one, having these hard conversations, this is not the most comfortable thing to talk about, but um, just being real because when they're approached with something like, what are they going to do with that? Yeah, that's good. The proactive role that we have to take, I think, um, to be aware that it's there and it's lurking. I I think uh, the founders of Eden's Glory, Annie and Ginger, one of them, I remember at a training I was in said, one of the uh, things that traffickers might do is let's say they approach you in a mall. I don't know, you know, for example, and they pay you a compliment and you look down, you, you may not have the word versus looking in the eye and being like, don't talk to me and walk away. They're like, that person is probably not vulnerable to manipulation because they know their identity, but the one who doesn't recognize that maybe she is beautiful or maybe how to take a compliment or whatever, hmm, let's like have attention there. And I, I always remember that. I think maybe they were talking to our high school students, like know your worth and stand your ground and, and uh, be able to look people in the eye when you, when you see that. So I just remember that being there. And I think that kind of goes along with what you're saying, like know what your worth is. A hundred percent. A confident person already believes she's beautiful. That compliment does less for her like ego, right? But someone that doesn't hear that or doesn't believe that you said that like it lands different. And so, um, not something we can teach, but it's something we can talk to, um, young people about. They have to develop that themselves. I mean, like 
I can't say I was the most confident uh, person even now, but like Jesus gives me that confidence because of what he says I am. So like, I, I know he's not a liar. So I believe that um, versus like, yeah, someone coming up to me and saying you're beautiful, like mm-hmm. means so much more when the Lord says it. Right. So um, yeah, that's a great example. My brain can only think in terms of Enneagram, it seems like, and I'm trying to think like, so would there be certain Enneagram numbers that would be more like susceptible or more vulnerable, but like knowing you guys and knowing some of the survivors that I've come in contact with, it spans Enneagram numbers. Like trafficking isn't limited to a certain personality type or to a certain, um, a certain Enneagram number or anything like that. I think it's more like you said, it's like that health or unhealth, that confidence of who they are and where their identity is and some of those other vulnerabilities. But I just kind of think that's fascinating because we want to go, well, classic addicts have this personality type or classic, you can't go like survivors have this personality type, you know? Yeah. I think like we did talk about something because I was like mistyped for a long time because I, I will say, I do think um, survivors due to their trauma can take on two characteristics. Um, but that's because they were conditioned that way. Like that's because that's exactly the ultimate, <laughs> like a trafficker wants their victim to act like a two, right? Like this like servant and like all of these things. So, um, loving, caring, putting their needs, putting others' needs before theirs, like all of that stuff. So I think that sometimes like even survivors that I know like can show up that way, but that's actually not their number when we dig deeper. And so mm-hmm. like, yeah, I asked Megan, like how trauma really plays a role in our Enneagram. Cause I, I know it doesn't change. Like we don't change numbers based on our experiences. And so like, how does that play out? So I think that's kind of like an interesting, um, yeah, like role dynamic, like when needed, when needed to like be submissive in order to survive. Right. Right. And the unhealthier space of a two has that codependency piece a lot of times, which you were trained, like as a survivor, your trafficker is going to make sure that you need them, right? Which is a lot of coercion, which is part of the definition of what this crime is. Um, And so that is not necessarily how you are wired. That's an unhealthy conditioning. So I think you have, you know, you said it in that. Well, and I think trauma, that trauma makes you take up parts. If we're going to talk IFS language too, it makes you take up the parts that you need to survive, like you said. So maybe there are some two parts that they have to take up because that's what gets you through today, or that's what gets you through the season mm-hmm. or whatever that looks like. So anyway, I, that's none of that's diagnostic. I just was fascinated when you were talking. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point. I mean, yeah, they look, they look different. They're from different economic backgrounds they have different family upbringings um different personality types and yet all all end up being trafficked right so i think of the survivor sisters i've gone to like a lot of retreats and have uh, other colleagues in this work like doing anti-trafficking work in pretty much every state and i just think like of their faces and what i know of their stories and they're so so different mm-hmm. so different I think that's so important for us to just really get ingrained in our brains. Um, I was listening. I don't remember what podcast it was, probably the Holy Post knowing me, but um, a couple of years ago, they were talking about um, like how rape culture wants to blame a girl for wearing the skirt that's too short or whatever. Like, oh, you shouldn't have gotten yourself into that situation when really like the only person at fault in that situation would be the rapist, right? 
But what we are so scared, we're a culture driven by fear. And so if we can label and categorize an other, the victim in some way, then it separates us from their pain. And it separates us from fearing that we could be the next victim or that our kids could be the next victim or survivor or whatever that looks like. And so I think if we're thinking, oh, trafficking survivors, they all are this and here is the one aspect they all have in common and I don't have that or my kid doesn't have that or then it's really easy to to let that fear kind of subside and when you're othering them in some way. But if you go, nope, nothing in common, this literally could happen to anybody. You know, everybody is susceptible if this, this, and this, or if they don't have these relationships, but there's no, like, there's no personality type. There's no geographic location. There's no socioeconomic status. There's no race or culture that is like immune to this. Yeah. And I think like every, like when I speak, I'm from like pretty suburban neighborhood uh, where like that, that type of ide- ideology, like this doesn't happen to people. So when I speak in our community and I say, I went to Pacific Grove high school, like, <gasps> like this, like, you know, all the, the moms and, um, but then you talk about this in like an urban area and they have been like, there is generational trauma, like, right. Like where, um, like pimp culture is like something passed down. Right. So they're not thinking in terms of trafficking. They're like, Oh, mm-hmm. like that's so-and-so like, he's always been a pimp. His family's a pimp or like, Oh, that's so-and-so they've always been a whatever label they want to call victims. Right. And so there's also that undoing there. There's this like mm-hmm. re-educating places that think it doesn't happen there. And then there's the undoing of certain communities that are accepting of, of this and um or it's been nor- normalized for them and we're talking about like survivors of trauma like specifically trafficking survivors i'm kind of going in you were talking about big t trauma and little t trauma um i guess you guys have been talking about that on the podcast and so like survivors of trafficking have compound trauma um that means like this big t trauma was happening to them every day, if not multiple times a day, right? Depending on how much they were, they were sold and exploited. But then we look at their ACEs, which is like adverse childhood experiences, which is like, and I can rattle them off, like neglect, like household abuse in all forms, divorced parents, incarcerated parent, person, parent with a mental illness, et cetera, right? So we're, so in my experience working with survivors of trafficking, including myself, we have high ACE scores. So we're talking about compound trauma in the life uh, being sold. High ACE scores as children. And then a lot of survivors don't look like me. This just marginally like affects black and brown girls more. And if we're talking about that population, then we're looking at uh, generational like adverse community experiences, which is like racism, poverty, lack of education, incarceration. Like we're talking about whole communities that they were born into that have generational trauma and then their aces. And then the trafficking was just like, you know, the top, like it was almost like, and I think that's probably why survivors are so resilient. It's like, well, this isn't the only thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I, I appreciate like you bringing that perspective. 
no, I, I just appreciate you bringing that perspective because you're right. Like we kind of only see in our own lens and that's what I was doing right there even a little bit. So thank you for like opening that up. Cause I never thought about how that can be normalized generationally in some communities. How do we combat this? Yeah. What, how, what do we do with this? It's so many layers of trauma. <laughs> Please educate us. I think like the we- biggest thing is like being safe and consistent. Like, I just think of trainings that I do with people that want to work with our ladies. I think of the people that I, I have a small circle, but the people that I am like, these are my people until I go to heaven. Um, They are that because they were, they were safe, which is like my number one thing. And they were consistent, Um, which I think I could speak for the majority of survivors that those two things matter a lot. Um, People come and go sometimes at the hands of the survivor, right? Like a lot of us didn't know how to have healthy relationships, didn't have healthy family units, um, don't know how to make friends, especially if we were in like the life of trafficking with like other girls and things like that. It's competitive nature. Um, or we were trafficked by our families, like all the, the experiences, right? Like relationships are probably um, pretty unhealthy. And so when you get those people that show up that don't want anything from us for a long time, like, um, when I came and I have like a really loving family, like, let me just paint that picture. Um, so I, I am fortunate to totally have like him from a loving home and still like my family is in my life. Um, and yet this still happened to me. But when I came out of prison, I like, I hated every single man, like, I did not want to be around a male person. Um, I like kind of looked at everyone like as a buyer or like it was transactional. Like they wanted something from me. Like it could be the smallest compliment. Like I like your shoes. Like I used to go to like celebrate recovery, like week one of being on. And I like remember coming home and be like, mom, like I wanted to karate chop him like in the throat. Um, She's like, he just liked her shit. Like, And it was like that, I mean, that's like a funny, like example, but I really, um, that took a lot of repairing and that was the Lord bringing safe and consistent men in my life and not even romantically, like they just continued to show up. Um, they also like was bonus for me that they love Jesus. Um, so I think what we can do for survivors with compound trauma, we don't have to fix them. Um, Therapy's done wonders for me. It's not for everyone. Um, but if you can be consistent in their life, like longevity, they will pick up on that. I think survivors have huge, like <laughs> the gift of discernment. They know if you're for real or not. And I know that friends are seasonal, right? There's seasonal people in all of our lives. But um, yeah, I think the biggest gift, one is to believe them believe their stories and two is to be consistent and safe you kind of answered my question just now when you said believe them because I was wondering like uh, many people engaging in relationship aren't trying to harm someone but what what could we do to make sure that we are safe what are some of the hallmarks of things that maybe even the best intention person makes them like a red flag for that doesn't feel safe yeah the inquisitive questions um to me, like, even if it's like, it could be like a sweet mom that found out my story and then asked all the nosy questions. Like to me, that feels unsafe. Right. So now I don't want to be around you. 
Um, and that's just, I'm just speaking from my own belief. Uh, that's not, not as survivors as a whole. Um, so I think like letting, and there's not like, and then there's like, I don't want people to feel like they walk on eggshells around survivors. Right. I think it's just like any, any way that you would be a friend to someone else, like do the same. I love when survivors can show up in space in a space and be like, I show up as Ashley. Like I tell the girls in our house, like you being trafficked is not the most interesting thing about you. It's not like it's not, there are so many cool things that I know about these girls that like, I don't even, yeah. And I think like when you enter a room and it's labeled survivor already, that already feels kind of unsafe because we're like, Oh dang, like, um, what do you want to know? Um, and yeah, so I think like really just like loving them and engaging them as anyone else. Um, and then they start to tell you their stories or they are like, look, this is what I'm struggling with right now. Like it's a organic relationship, just like you would like mentor someone or I've learned a lot working with kids, like, and then that transferred over working with other survivors, just kind of like being present. Yeah. You know, making space. I was just saying making space for maybe a reaction that comes from a trigger that we don't understand and being okay to not have to know why, like we can make space for Mm -hmm. that. Um, because we've been talking a little bit about what is trauma informed care look like in our everyday lives. Maybe it looks like even if we don't know the backstory, we can still give grace, (laughs) you know, even if we don't know all the details, we can still move with towards someone with compassion and forgiveness and love, because if people are triggered, there's probably a good reason for it. Right. Um, So I was just thinking about that too. Like we can be safe just by not reacting to a reaction of someone who has been triggered in some way. I'm just giving love and space and grace for that. It's a good rule of thumb for like all humans. (laughs) Right. Right. Because we don't yeah, know. That was a big reaction. Know. Like, there's probably a why behind it. Yeah. And we don't know. We don't know people's stories. There's so many ways that someone could be showing up in a space. And for us to have to know it, to be kind to them, is just not the way that Christ moves through the world. So I think we can just be better Christians, just being more grace-filled, understanding that there's a whole person and a whole story behind them, whether it's trafficking or not, right? Yeah, if we had to walk around with our traumas like written on a sign that we had to carry around just so people could be kind or not say something dumb or whatever it was, like, yeah, there's just so much that work we all have to do to interact with people and just understand that there's more to everyone's story that we would, we just can't know off the bat. Yeah. And I think like, like, um, when I first started dating, which was like the scariest thing ever, um, that was like something I encountered in a relationship where it was like, and have you met? She's a survivor of human trafficking. Like, you know, like this big, like, uh, on a pedestal type of like, like he was proud of that. Like, but it, to me, it was so, um, like exhausting, like to have to be that all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I think just like letting people be people. Um, and that's something that happened to them. And then they have the rest of their life, right? Like it's like a small part or maybe a large part, but like now they have this, this freedom. Something you said, Deidre, about like the triggers is like also like not being afraid of triggers uh, because 
if I was to avoid, if I'm like trying really hard not to trigger the ladies I work with, like that's not serving them. I definitely never do it intentionally, but if something comes up, like how cool is it that I get to walk with them through that? Because it's going to happen for the rest of their life. Hopefully not, but like things are going to come up and then it's like, oh, cool. I'm a safe person. I'm here right now. How can we, what do you need in this moment? Mm -hmm. And then they overcome the trigger. However long that takes. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes their bounce back is like, and you got to be that safe person there. So I think like when I train people and like that want to volunteer, they're always like, okay, how do I not trigger the ladies? And it's like, it's going to happen and it's never on purpose, but then you get to walk with them as a safe, consistent person, right? Like, so that the next time when they're alone, they know what to do. Yeah. They know what what works for them. So healing is possible, (laughs) right? And when you're surrounded by safe, consistent people, and when in your story, you met Jesus and he showed you that there was a new way to walk and you probably didn't start day one. You're like, okay, everything's great now. Right. I mean, it's, I'm guessing it was probably a painful, hard road and to walk out of that, but clearly something you've, you've walked a road that has turned you back around to pull other people out of that same story. And that to me is like, that's just astounding. Like, that's amazing to me because that means you are probably encountering your own triggers or maybe more at the beginning than you are now. I don't know, but you probably have been encountering your own triggers because of the intentional work you've done to put yourselves in the lives of other people in that story. And that's just beautiful, hard, amazing work. Thank you. Yeah, it is less now, um, which is like so cool. Thanks God. Um, I'm 10 years out though. And and I tell the ladies like, um, and it's usually not like even them. Um, Sometimes it's stuff at home and I'll come to work the next day and I'll be like, like I'm 10 years out and I was triggered last night because they get it more than anyone. So what, like, um, I don't go into like all the details, but just letting them know, like one, I'm human and like healing is not linear, not to give them like, Oh man, it's going to take 10 years, but it's just like, but also that bounce back, that resiliency, like, um, for me, like, okay, triggered, moved on. Right. And I got to share it the next day. This isn't like, um, it doesn't take up as much space in my life anymore. And that's like really cool to share it with them. And then also gives them this like peer survivor to survivor, like, Hey, like I'm struggling with this right now. It doesn't matter that I'm a leader. I always said that, like stepping into the executive director role, like there's lots of things I needed to learn administratively and things like I do direct service. And so I always, I said, I wouldn't take that position unless I was accessible to survivors because, um, that's so big to have someone that's been where you've been, even if it's a completely different story. So yeah. Healing is possible. Yes. Healing is possible. I love that. Well, how can our listeners engage with the work that you're doing specifically for set free Monterey Bay? Yeah. So I don't know how much your listeners know about Eden's glory, but, um, Eden's Glory is a home in Illinois that we've modeled ourselves after. Um, I've had the pleasure of walking with Eden's Glory's team for the last almost six years. Um, so Set Free is a duplicate of Eden's Glory because they set the tone and they set the tone so well um, for the care of survivors. And so, yeah, that's both homes, like supporting homes like that, whether like 
you want to support a home that's close to your area or maybe it's not us. Like, you know, it's just, we need, um, obvious funding, right? (laughs) Like that's how we, um, support these ladies. They live in our home for, they live in their home for two years, um, free of cost. And we don't want them to go from program to program. We want set free to be a stepping stone so that they have the tools they need to thrive the rest of their life um, without the use of the program. So in order to do that well, like, yeah, we, I think Eden's story too, we call them defenders, right? Those monthly supporters um, to support our, our organizations. Um, you're literally defending the lives of survivors. Um, you, I just encourage people to read survivor memoirs to really educate themselves. Ashley, if you'll give me a list of some of those that you mentioned, I'd love to link those for people to find, not just yours, but the others that you said earlier. Oh yeah. Um, knowing like what you're looking for. So, um, there's the national human trafficking hotline. Um, if you do see something, um, there's another hotline called Rescue America that if you actually encounter a survivor, I think that they do a beautiful job of actually like assisting that person to get resources like immediately. These are, these are national orgs, right? Um, putting those numbers in your phone, requesting a school-based presentation. Um, I don't know where, where all your listeners are from in California. It's a law now that we teach anti um, trafficking prevention curriculum to kids, uh, middle school and high school. Well, Let's do that. Um, yeah, we do it by Zoom too, if you if you want us. But um, yeah, I think those are, are really tangible ways and probably the biggest one is prayer. <laughs> Please pray for both organizations, for the survivors we haven't even met yet, for the survivors that only God knows exist, um, for them to know that he is real. Prayers for like, the traffickers for the buyers like this is not just for those who have experienced harm but if like the supply and demand chain can ex- discombobulate i don't know um that that ends trafficking as we know it so yeah so many ways like whether that's monetarily or spiritually like so many ways you can help and partner with us Beautiful. I think normalizing the conversation around all of those aspects, including the supply and demand chain is so important because we have to combat this from a lot of different angles. And as long as there is a demand for it, people will be used. Right. And so we can do a lot in just educating the next generation, not just in how to not become victims, but also how to not become the predators in this situation, consumers. <laughs> yeah, the consumers of it. And so I would also challenge us as parents, as teachers, as youth pastors, as pastors, like let's continue to set an ethos where we value every <laughs> life and where no one is being consumed for somebody else. Well, are not for sale. You are beautiful. Thank you so much for showing up today and listening to us. We so appreciate oh, it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. 
For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.